Hey, got a Bible? That's cool if you don't. There's going to be one on the screen, uh, but that don't count. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, seriously, though, if you don't have a Bible, you're here in person, you don't have a Bible, go to the Welcome Center, and they'll give you one. Or if you want a really nice one with leather on it, go to Lost and Found. You can get one there as well. All right? Those are both two places you can get Bible. If you got one or you got a phone, you got a Bible, uh, go to Matthew chapter seven. That's where we're gonna be today. Again, we as a church, we've been going through for like what feels like the last 30 plus weeks, we've been just journeying through uh, the most influential sermon ever given. It was given by Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We've been diving through this thing word by word, verse by verse, and we are headed towards the home stretch. What we're getting ready to actually unpack today is kind of where Jesus actually hits the apex of his teaching. And then he begins to land the plane in the next a bit of the passage that we're gonna walk through. So you guys there yet? Okay, cool. Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse seven. We're gonna read through some of the stuff that we covered last week. And we're diving back into this because like we talked about, the Bible is not just a, a strand of pearls where we take one little thing and we go on to the next one. Everything that Jesus said, especially in this Sermon on the Mount, they all flow in together. And so what he talked about last week is really the bedrock that what we're gonna be talking about this week is all laid on. So this is what he said. He was talking about prayer. He's talking about helping people who are in the midst of their insecurities and anxieties fears about this life. He said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks find and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good, good gifts to those who ask him? And then here's our verse for today. Matthew 7. Verse 12, we're gonna unpack one verse all day. Matthew 7, 12. Can we read this together? You want a group crowd participation day? Is it up there? Look at that. Let's do it. Let's read it together. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Like we've heard that. Do it to others as you would have them do unto you. We tell it to our kids, we tell it to our friends, we tell it to all these people. And it is commonly referred to as the golden rule. I mean, even in classrooms, like universities, it's all over the place, this golden rule. You ever stop and think about why do we call it golden? Like what makes it golden? Why is it golden? Well, it's actually not called the golden rule in the Bible. Jesus never, he didn't pause in his teaching and go, hey, everybody take notes. I'm about to give you some gold. I'm dropping nuggets on you today. He didn't say any of that. What he said was what he said. He didn't set it up. He just flowed right in from the one thing he said to the next thing. Well, the reason it's called the golden rule is because a long time ago, uh, it was after Jesus, but before right now, there's an emperor named Alexander Severus. And he got his hands on a Bible and he came across Matthew 7, the verse, verse 12. He came across this verse. And he was like, that's it. That's good. Man, if people did that, the world would be different. This is a pagan emperor. And so what he did is, you know, it's pretty cool thing to do. I guess when you're emperor, you can do stuff like this. Is he just got a bunch of gold and melted a bunch of gold down. And there in the palace, he just wrote it in gold all over the palace and in public places. And it was like, yes, we should do this. And he wrote it in gold. And that's why we call it the golden rule. All right. So now trivia, you're going to be better. Again, like last week, I'm going to start you off easy. And then we're going to just pull the plane right up as far as it can go. All right. You guys ready? So that's why we call it the golden rule. All right, you guys ready to walk through this, kind of figure out some of what, what in the world Jesus is after here? Let's you know, take this verse that maybe is common, but understand the uncommon truth behind it. So that's where we'll start. Verse 12, look at that very first word in verse 12. He says, so, which 
oftentimes the golden rule way back from when Severus was like, you know what? I'm just gonna pull this completely out of the passage that it's in. I'm gonna throw this whole thing up on the wall. We got a lot of Severus in us. We like to do that. We like to just go, okay, I'm just gonna treat everybody like I wanna be treated. But the context here, and that word so wraps it up, it is as if Jesus is actually saying, because of everything I just said, now let me talk to you about this golden rule. It's like he's saying, with that in mind, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of this flows together. So let's unpack that again, because that's okay. If this whole thing that Jesus said about asking, seeking, and knocking, he's saying because of that, because you have a heavenly father who will give you what you need when you ask for him, then his next turn was, okay, you have a heavenly father who loves you. If you ask, you seek, you knock. He's a good father, not like you. Even you, you're, you're a half-hearted evil father and you can still give your kid good gifts. If they ask for a bread, you're not gonna give them stone. If they ask for fish, you're not gonna give them snakes. He said, how much more then will a heavenly father who loves you give you what you need when you ask him? He goes right from there. And this is weird. He goes right from there and goes, so do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now that's, that's kind of a big jump. We gotta figure out how to make that jump and what that really means. What he's saying there is, think about it. We all have our own insecurities. We have our own things that we don't know if we have enough of. We don't know if we're getting enough parental attention. We don't know if we have enough money. We don't know if we're gonna be able to make it through Christmas and get our kids all the things that they want. We don't know what's gonna happen. Am I gonna have enough to retire? Am I gonna have a, enough resources to move my aging parent in with me? We have all these different things in life that we are insecure, that we are worried and nervous about. Am I man enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I being a good dad? Am I being a good dad? We have all these things that we can be insecure on. And what God does is he says, listen, I'm a good dad and I know what you need before you ask, but I still want you to ask because I wanna talk to you. I wanna go back and forth. I want you to understand that there are gifts that I can give you that I can only give to you as a father. I have these things that I wanna show you to, to, to lay in front of you and I want you to come to me and get these things. And he's saying, when you know that you have this God who loves you enough as a loving heavenly father, that you rest in that confidence that now he loves you, cares for you, and is wanting to give you these things. Now that, here again, track with me, that frees you up to go, okay, now I actually can treat others how I want to be treated. I can forgive this person who I would have, who I would have maybe withheld forgiveness because people would have thought I was a chump if I forgave them. Well now, if my heavenly father says my approval comes from him and he's given me it, well then I can, I don't care what they say. And if there's somebody who I meet and it's like, hey, I, I, you know, I, I need some, some extra money. Somebody calls, you know, a need comes up in small group. A, a family says, hey, we're having the trouble conceiving and, and we've tried every route that we could there and we've kind of exhausted all our resources and so now we want to adopt, but that's incredibly expensive as well. Uh, what can we do? That when we go, okay, well, man, um, you know, things aren't as we wish they would be maybe in our own family finances, but I can freely give to this family who wants to be godly parents to a kid who wouldn't, maybe not otherwise experience that because I have an only father who loves me. He's given me generous. I can, I can give now because uh, if I was there and, and we didn't have our two kids, man, I, I would love it if, if I was adopting that everybody around me who says they love me would be willing to give to me to be able to make that dream possible. See, he's going, okay, when you know that your heavenly father is gonna meet all your needs and provide all your needs, it frees you up to go, okay, 
I can love you. I, I can remember how I would want to be treated. And I remember how I want to be treated because I've been asking God based off of those needs. I've been seeking. I've been knocking. Now I can go, okay, I can, I can do my best to meet these because I'm here. Here is somebody who has already received and is confident and trusts God and has faith that God will provide for me. And it may look unique. It may not be how I want it to. I may have to drive a Honda and not a Mercedes, but my God has met all my needs. And again, there's nobody in here who needs a Mercedes. Now I'm just meddling, sorry. Um, if you drove a Mercedes here, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. That's okay. Um, I used to drive a sports car. It was a Toyota Corolla. It was cool. Um, <laughs> It's all good. It's all a sports car if you drive fast, you know? And the thing that I want us to know here is knowing that you have a God who is asking about you, who is seeking you, who is knocking at the door of your heart makes it a whole lot easier to go to him with those needs. And we talked about that last week, that we do have that God who's asking about you. We see that in the word. We see that in Genesis the moment after the fall, Adam and Eve are running around, they're scrambling, they're, they're trying to you know, kill animals to make loincloths and they're sewing fig leaves together because they now realize we are naked. Um, and that happened because they ate the fruit. And God's footsteps start thundering through the garden and they're, they're hiding. And God's question, the very first question in the Bible from God to people, do you know what it was? Where are you? Where are you at? And again, God is infinite, all-knowing, everything else. God knows exactly where they're at. But God knows that his kids right now in this moment, they need to know that I want to know where they're at still. That I'm not ashamed of them. That I want to know where they're at. And so he comes in, he, his first question in the Bible, to Adam and Eve, where are you? I think God's asking that to some of you today, some of us today. I've been reeling through that question this week. Son, where are you? Where are you? So we have a God who asks about us and get a God that's asking about you right now. We have a God who seeks us. The Bible tells us that through Jesus, you know, God sent his son to seek and save the lost. To seek. Not to seek and punish. Not to seek and get even with them for the Snickers bar they stole in second grade. To seek them to save them. Because they can't save themselves. And then in Revelation, again, I'm, I'm taking you from the very beginning of the Bible, our very beginning, put you in the middle putting you at the end. Then book of Revelation, kind of how God wraps the whole thing up. He says, you know, Jesus is, is writing this letter to, to a church that I would say he's writing to our church, to you. And he says, uh, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for whoever would come in and open this door to come in and sit down and eat with them. And so guys, we have this God who asks, who seeks and knocks. And then we, in response, we ask and we seek and we knock on that same God's door. And then the next part, what we're gonna unpack today is because we have a God who asks, seeks, and knocks on the doors of our own heart and beckons us to be a people who do the very same thing to him. When that's happening, okay, now this is where it has to happen. When those things are happening, and that's grounded and rooted in prayer, when that's happening, now I can be a person who goes and actually treats other people the way I wanna be treated. And this is the reason um, the liberal arts college, the justice civil rights movement, the, the Me Too, all these other things, all these other movements for social justice adopt the phrase and adopt this ideology around do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But they miss out on the context of what Jesus said before that in Matthew 7 through 11. 
Because what Jesus says there is if you don't understand that there's a heavenly father who though you are wicked, evil and deprived far beyond your wildest imagination, still seeks you, still comes to save you and is knocking on the door of your heart and then beckons you to say, hey, I wanna meet all of your needs. So come to me, ask, seek and knock. Until you get all of that, you're never gonna be a person who really can experience the transformative power of treating other people the way you really wanna be treated. The way I wrote it down this week, and and maybe you write it down as well, is that the golden promise, this golden promise that if you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. That golden promise that God will do that, it enables us to actually live the golden rule. So good luck living the golden rule if you're not living out of the golden promise. That if you ask God, he'll answer. If you seek him, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. Now, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna say something that is gonna expand that a little bit even bigger. And this is at first gonna seem like, what does that mean? Help me with that. And, I, and we're gonna walk through it. But this is the key. And again, I believe this teaching here in, in Matthew seven eleven or seven twelve is like, if you really want to take the whole Sermon on the Mount, really almost even the whole New Testament, and just say like, okay, give me one verse, that if I can do this, we're good to go. This is it. And so if I had to give my commentary on it, this is what it would be. That when I trust that God is not treating me as he should, it sets me free to treat others as I should. I say that again. When I trust that God is not treating me as he should, it sets me free to treat others as I should. All right. When I realize that God is not treating me as he should, let's pause there for a second. Well, how should God treat you? You want to think on that for a second? How should God treat you? The Bible made it really clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The most walking with Jesus for the longest time person in the room to the person who's thinking about getting baptized maybe next week. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And again, we've, we've unpacked this a little bit in this, in this series. It's not, did you rape somebody, murder somebody, you know, push a grandma down a flight of stairs like you did the really bad ones. It has nothing to do with how many or how quote unquote worse your sin is. Your sin is all bad and it's all terrible because of who you did it against, not the measure or the amount of the sin that it was. Again, there's a different punishment if you come up here and you punch me in the face. There's, there's gonna be a little bit of punishment on that if you come up here and punch me in the face. But if Joe Biden is at a speech and you happen to be at that speech and he's on stage giving a speech like I'm giving a speech and you walk up and you, guys, stop. And you punch Joe Biden in the face, the punishment for you doing that is gonna be far greater than if you punch me in the face. And it's all because of who you sinned against. Has nothing to do with the sin. You could throw the same, you know, same trajectory, same velocity. I mean, again, get the image out of your head, people. Uh, he's still our president. Um, do you know what I'm saying? And so that God, who had all of us sin against him in that way, chooses to withhold the punishment. The Bible makes it very clear that the wages of sin is death. And it's not just death as in like I died, but that's where sin goes. But it's also eternal separation from God. That God who is perfect and holy cannot have uh, sinful humans in his presence without something happening. Now we believe that something happening is Jesus being the big Bible, Bible word here, the propitiation, the payment for our sin. So that that sin debt that we now owed God has now been canceled out because of Jesus' blood on the cross and our faith in that. And so because, and again, this is the track with me here. Because God 
And again, I got to be very careful here. Can we put that whole passage up there? I want them to see something. Sorry. When I trust that God is not treating me as I should. Now, let me just, let me, I, I probably, so I couldn't write all of this out there at one time. Um, God is not going to treat you as he should if you are in his son. And this is, this is the part that I hate as a pastor because I, I wish I could just skip right over this. If you are not in his son, if you have not put faith in his son, he is going to treat you as you should. And you are fully on the hook for your sins. If you have not put your faith in his son, if you have not repented of those sins, then, 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 then the judgment and the wrath of God, he, he would not be a good and, judge, and righteous God if he just said, oh, it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. No. If you allowed your son to be sacrificed to save a group of people, how wrong would it be of you to go, no, uh, yeah, I know my son died for that, but we're just, you don't, you don't got to accept it. You just, you just, you're good. We'll let you in. Slip in the back door. You know somebody. No. So if you're in Christ, he is withholding that. Because what you've done is you said, God, the punishment that I was owed, the punishment that I deserved, I believe now that it is bound up and wrapped up in what Jesus went through on the cross and that blood that he shed on the cross is now covering me of my sins. I put my faith and my hope and my trust in that alone, not in the fact that I could do anything good of myself or on my own. My hope, my faith, my trust is all in that, that finished work there on the cross. And now I, I trust that when you look at me, you no longer see my sins but you see your son. And see, when we get that, when, and, and the, to put that word, that whole phrase right there into a word, that word is mercy. That God has mercy on him. Grace is when God gives you something that you don't deserve. Mercy is when God withholds the punishment, usually negative, that you do actually deserve. And God, again, God didn't just withhold that punishment and take it and put it in a jar in heaven. Say, well, I hope nobody finds out about that. He took that punishment that you deserved and he put it on his son. And when you realize that that mercy has been given to you, like I said in the, in the thing that's up there still, it sets you free to actually begin to treat people as, they, as you should treat them. Because far be it for you to be such a ungrateful hypocrite that you would receive the overflow of that mercy of God and then go, I'm gonna withhold what somebody else actually needs. I'm gonna withhold the good that that person needs. I, I, uh, no, or I'm gonna give you the punishment you deserve. You lied to me, so you can't come to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, and, and again, that's, 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 that's the key. This is whole hidden key in this whole golden rule thing. That if you don't first get to the place where you realize that God has had so much mercy on me, you will never ever be able to be a graceful, merciful person to somebody else, ever. That's, that's why we gotta, again, that's why we gotta be Bible chapter people, not Bible verse people. And so another reason um, why this is still hard because we can go to that and go, okay, I see that Jesus, I see the mercy you had on me and let me have mercy on people. But then like we get in traffic or we go to work on Monday and it's a whole different ball game. Why is this still hard? Here's why it's hard. 
for many of us, what we thought religion was all about was what we don't do. And again, some of we grew up in that house where grandma was like, you, you don't do it, God's what? Is this what you wanna be doing when Jesus comes back? Like we grew up there, like we saw and experienced all those things. And we thought that a morally religious, a right person, a good Christian was all defined by the things you don't do. And the problem with the golden rule is it is not passive. It's not negative. It's not about what you don't do. Every other major world religion's golden rule is about what you don't do. Let me show it to you. Um, in in the, the religious, the, the holy writings of, of Buddhism, theirs goes like this. Hurt not others. Again, listen to the difference between what Jesus said and what uh, Buddha says. Hurt not others with that which pains yourself. I can do that and not give a nickel to the poor. I can do that and never help someone across the road. I can do that and never go visit somebody in prison. I can do that and never give you a kind and encouraging word that that brightens up your day. I can do that and never call you when your spouse leaves you. I can do all of that still. I can live by the tenets, the major, the summation of the tenets of Buddhism and not do any of those things. Take Hinduism. This is the sum, again, this is from their holy writing. This is the sum of duty. Do not to others what if done to thee would cause you pain. Again, as long as I, as long as I don't want anybody to murder me, so I'm not gonna murder anybody. When, when people are angry at me, I, I don't want them to punch me in the face. So I'm not, when I get angry, I will not punch people in the face. I don't want people to gossip about me, so I will not gossip about people. See, what what Jesus was actually speaking about, though, is something so much deeper. And I think what he's revealing here when he says, whatever you wish people would do to you, do to them, is he's taking all these other major world religions, he's saying, hey, this was all about just what you don't do. And I would just kind of lay out this hard truth to us. If your religious security, like if your, your spiritual security is founded on all the things that you're not doing, you may be a really good practicing Buddhist or Hindu person, but you may not be a Christian if it's just about what you're not doing. See, our faith, this following Jesus thing, it's not about all the stuff you're not doing. It's about living out as a people who go, what would I wish someone would actually do to me and let me be a person who would go and do that to others? That's the whole part. When Jesus said, he, he gave this idea of what judgment day was gonna be like. He says, it's gonna be like a, a king coming in. He's gonna separate uh, people from the left and to the right. Kind of way a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And to, to one, he's gonna say, hey, um, well done, good and faithful servant. You saw me when I was in prison. You came to visit me. You saw me thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You saw me naked and you gave me clothes. You saw me hungry and you gave me food. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into eternal rest. All those were positive things. He didn't say, you never killed anybody, didn't rape anybody, never push old ladies downstairs. You, you know, th- these are all the things you didn't do. Good job, I, I, come on in. He referenced everything that was that you treated somebody else the way that you want to be treated yourself. And to the other people, he gave the same thing. He said, you didn't come to visit. You, you didn't give me something to drink when I was thirsty. You didn't come to visit when I was in prison. You didn't, give me any, you didn't welcome me in when I was a stranger. And again, he didn't say, well, you murdered people. You, 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 you know, you did these bad things. You stole, you robbed. You, and so because of that, you're out. So again, listen to Jesus' list of the people he says, you're in because of this and you're out because of this. The people who are in, you know what they could have done? Murdered people. They 
could have done those things. They could have. They could have been the world's most filthy, deprived thief. And the reason, the whole thing Jesus said here is, is you, you knew me. And because you knew me, even despite maybe some of the things that you knew were the wrong things to do that you still did, you can actually find a way into this. And I can still forgive all of those things. And I'm proud of you for showing that you were faithful to me by how you treated other people the way you would want to be treated. And then the people on this side, you know what they could have done? Perfect church attendance. They could have had great theology. Like you could have given them a quiz. You could take them to Bible college and give them a quiz about all the tenets of Christendom and give them all these things about church history and they could have passed this test. But he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And again, they didn't do all the right things probably. But it's a matter of what they failed to do because they failed to do the very thing that Jesus did, which was treat others despite whether they deserve it or not the way that you would want to be treated. And so I think one of the main reasons that the golden rule is incredibly hard is because we pat ourselves on the, I can't even get back there. Uh, We pat ourselves on the back because we went four or five weeks without doing something. And Jesus is going, man, if you, if you just start like, you could probably break out of that sin that you've been in bondage to for years and years and years. If you just start like giving, you know, sending a four or five encouraging texts out a day, you probably break out of that sin. If you just start working at the soup kitchen, you, you, you have no idea how I could get your spending habit under control if you'd start serving in children's ministry. You have no idea. All these things. And you're so consumed with stop doing stuff that you've even overlooked all the things I would love for you to do. And maybe some of the freedom, maybe some of the, the hang up is Satan wants you to be consumed with all the things that you feel like you have to stop doing so that you completely overlook all the things that Jesus wants you to start. And so we come to a hard passage like this. And another reason I think it's, it's kind of difficult um, is because when you, look at, when you look at this and you look at us, when you say treat people the way you want to be treated, <laughs> the problem is when it starts with us, and we have to come to this realization that we are actually kind of double-minded, right? You ever wanted something really good for somebody and then you start helping them with that thing and you realize, no, I don't want that for you anymore because now you make more money than I do. I, well, I, get, I, gave, you a, I gave you a handout or I, I hooked you up with him and, 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 and now my boyfriend broke up with me and now, now I, I'm lonely and I put y'all together. Like, you know, we, we, we go like that. We want things, but then we don't want things. See, James, who's Jesus' brother, and again, I've said this multiple times, I don't know what your brother would have to do for you to believe he's God, um, but it would probably be resurrect from the grave. Um, and again, very good for the evidence side that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Um, his brother, John, who grew up in the same house that he grew up in, becomes a follower of Jesus. He said this in James 4, 8. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. I love that about our God. Wash your hands, you sinners. He's talking about being pure. He said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, James knew that inside of every human heart, there were gonna be these two things battling against each other. And you can be the most, you can be saved. Like you can be in Christ. You can have already been baptized. And there's still this double-mindedness. There's this aspect Paul talked about. He said, why are the things that I don't want to do the very things that I do? And all the things I don't want to do, they're the things that I feel like, well, that's exactly what I really wanna do. This double-mindedness. 
And we experience this in our own lives. And when it comes to what we want to do to other people, we've got the double-minded thing going on. Like, I want to do this for you. But then it's like, but I don't want to. And it's a struggle. And the only way that we win this this war and this tension with our double-mindedness is through prayer. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, "Ah, man, I'm having a hard time with understanding what you're talking about with this double-minded thing. Let me, I I wrote some stuff down. Maybe maybe this makes a little more sense. Um, We want to be understood but we don't want to understand. We want to save money, but we want to spend money for what we want right now. We want to have the blessings of God, but we don't want to be obedient to God. We want a marriage full of love, but we also want the freedom to lose our temper. We want to be a part of a church that gives generously, but we don't want to give. We want safe roads, but we still drink and drive buzzed. We want to be sexually pure, but we'll indulge lust, porn, and sex outside of marriage. We want to be people that believe the best about others, but we're quick to share the juicy news that we just heard. We want to experience the power of God through prayer, but we excuse ourselves into prayerless lifestyles because we're just too busy. We want others to be tolerant of our views, but we're intolerant of their views. We want to be the church. There's a serving church. We don't want to serve. We want to be forgiven, but we don't want to forgive. We want people to reach out to us, but we don't reach out to them. In other words, we're double-minded. Anybody willing to own a little bit of that right there? Okay, so if, if we get to this place, we realize, man, I've maybe settled and felt okay as a Christian just because I was not doing some things. But if Jesus is in me and he's a God who gave his life for me, then maybe he's calling me to actually lay down my life. And he said very clearly, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. And anybody who tries to save his life will lose his life. Anybody who loses his life for my sake will find his life. Okay, so that maybe means that it's not just about what I don't do. It may be actually about what he's calling me to do on a daily basis, to follow him. And if those are some of the reasons why it's hard, I want to walk us through a couple of things here as we wrap up that are the practical ways that I think we can lean into this better. The first thing, if we're going to be people who actually live out this golden rule, is we have to start with ourselves and then end with others. Which again, you may hear that and you go, wait, 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 I thought Christianity was the other's first religion. I thought it was about others. Yes, it is about others. And this is where Bible translations kind of matter, okay? So if you're reading in your NIV, your NIV is going to put this as, uh, what does it say? NIV will put it in so everything, it starts with others, and everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. That's how the NIV translate this passage. 